What's up, fam? Welcome to the Different Stokes Podcast. I'm the wife, he's the husband, I'm the mom, he's the dad, and we are chatting about all things love, life, parenting, and culture. And we welcome you. Let's get into it. Everybody's got a special kind of story. Everybody finds a way to shine. It don't matter that you got not a lot. So what? Well, have theirs and you'll have yours and I'll have mine. And together we'll be fine. Cause it takes different strokes to move the world. Yes, it does. It takes different strokes to move the world. What's up, everybody? It's Meech. And this is Martha. What's up, fam? Welcome to the Different Stokes Podcast, officially rebranded. We've talked about it quite a bit in our Lost episodes, which you can find, of course, on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, of course, and many other of your podcasting outlets. But in the Lost Files, we did discuss that we were rebranding and are now and forevermore known as the Different Different Stokes Stokes Podcast. Yes, indeed. So glad you guys are joining us for this first episode of 2019. Can you believe that it's a new year? I cannot, but it is, so we'll just roll with it. 2018 went by very quickly. Blink of an eye. And here we are, 2019, hoping to bring you guys a lot more content, more consistent content, and you know, just interacting with the people, because that's what it's all about. So before we get into today's discussion, Martha, why don't you get people in tune or get people up to date on our social media because we made some changes there as well well we are at different stokes podcast on facebook our twitter handle at meach and martha at meach and martha yep um on twitter so we're there um if you are already following us you don't need to make any changes your follows will continue and that's it right now. That's it? Okay. <laughs> coming soon. YouTube channel coming soon, right? Instagram coming soon. We'll get you guys up to date once that is all squared away. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's talk about um, some a great thing that happened in the last week, what, which was uh, the clemency granting for Centoya Brown. That was a great, great development. The governor of Tennessee went ahead and granted her clemency. Uh, Fortunately, she won't be released until August of 2019 from prison. And if you guys are not familiar, Centoya Brown is a young lady that was a victim of human trafficking and used uh, in the sex trade, was forced into prostitution, and subsequently came in contact with a predator that she ended up killing and and taking his life and she was tried for murder and convicted and has already served i guess 15 years right she was sentenced to i think 51 years sentenced to 51 years and has already lost 15 years of her life um and she was 16 when she was convicted exactly that's that's even she was crazy to think about i mean obviously we see other cases where you know unfortunately young people kill other people and they're tried as adults Mm -hmm. but in this instance you know many believed the justice wasn't served 
many well, activists. It wasn't right. Yeah, it wasn't. So and many, many activists, many people have been petitioning the governor of Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, to grant this clemency for Santoya Brown, and it looks like it has finally paid off. So um, the hard work of those activists, those people who fought for her clemency. No, we certainly appreciate. I know she definitely appreciates yeah, her family. Of definitely. course, is excited that in August she will be a free woman. Now she still is going to be on probation. And that, that's that's hard to and swallow. That's unfortunate. But, but freedom is is something that was the ultimate goal. So it's not fair freedom. Again, she's already lost fifteen years of her life having to wait another what nine, eight, nine months, eight months, right? Um, to get out, and she. She's going to spend another birthday in prison. Her birthday is coming up January 29th. Um, she will turn 31 years old while in prison. And like you said, she's been there since she was 16. So this is, um, you know, it, it was it was a lot of unjust, a completely unjust situation. Um, if you're a minor and you you're lured into trafficking, sex trafficking, the sex trade, and, you know, put in these positions where she ultimately felt that her life was threatened and defended herself um, taking a life. It's just, you know, a horrible outcome to then end up in prison. You would think that the justice system would look at her at that time that she was tried 15 years ago as a victim and want to help her. But instead, they looked at her as a criminal and wanted to criminalize her and punish her. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously someone did die. So, you know, the circumstances and everything of that death is obviously something that came to light during the trial. So and still in the midst of that, you know, she was she was convicted. And so I would. But, but I do think it speaks to the need for some juvenile criminal reform in our country. I mean, the fact that that can happen is just a lot. And we know even from totally separate supposed crimes totally separate situations but you look at the story of Khalif Browder also was a minor um, being sent to an adult maximum security prison that being Rikers Island I mean stories like this definitely give us pause when we think about what could be and if you guys are hearing any any additional chatter in our podcast today you know we're a family we're husband and wife uh, with the mom and dad portion so we have kids home today it's the weekend kids are here and we live a family life so you may hear our nine-year-old with her laughter and chatter because she's a happy kid so i would imagine with the centoya brown thing one other thing i want to point out before we move on is that these eight months that she has to serve before she's released I mean, they probably are going to be the hardest eight months of. Right. I mean, of and, her I, life, and I and I question. Know. Hopefully, that it's a good environment. Well, I don't know how good prison environment can be, but you just wonder, like, is she at risk for being harmed? You know, just right. all the things that maybe it's watching too much television in terms of you know scared straight of what prison is like. But God, eight months to freedom, just anything could happen. So you just worry, you know, right? Especially if you know. Obviously, you would imagine that word gets around that she's going to be released. And, you know, that kind of can, can breed, I would imagine, jealousy and, and a number of different things. So you do, 
probably worry about her safety a bit, but hopefully precautions are being made and steps are being taken to make sure that these eight months go as smoothly as they could possibly go so that Centoya can be freed and reunited with her family. So it's definitely great news that excellent she, news. Yep, excellent, excellent news. news and surprising news. Um because Governor Haslam originally did not grant the clemency or announce granting her clemency when he announced some others. So we thought hope was lost in this case. Thank goodness that, you know, someone or somehow it was brought back to to the forefront or on his plate and he made the decision to grant grant her clemency. So great news obviously we were talking about centoya brown and how she was a victim of you know sex trafficking and being Mm -hmm. a part of the sex you know the sex trade it is a great segue into what has seemingly consumed culture the last week or so and that is the surviving r kelly documentary that aired on lifetime what just a few days back six-part documentary it's highlighted some of the things that we've known about R. Kelly and his history of dealing with underage girls and some new developments that we may not have known. Yeah, definitely. That has uh, put quite the spotlight back on yeah. the aura, as you as you like to call <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, not and not the not a positive spotlight. No, I mean it's a reemergence. Of a story that we all knew, you know, and were familiar with kind of, you know, his history as it relates to young women. But this was on a scale that I don't think many of us were prepared for or knew it. Me, myself, speaking for myself, I wasn't prepared for what I learned having watched the Lifetime docuseries Surviving R. Kelly. So, I mean, and clearly with all the buzz and with all the chatter that it's getting from just regular people, celebrities, no one else, you know, it it took a lot of us, I think, by surprise. The details of it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, Many alarming things. I mean, we're going to unpack some of that here as we progress through this episode. But yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect when Mm -hmm. i started watching it and i'll be honest to say that it was a lot more than i expected after i watched it it was a lot to unpack um i was definitely a lot to process shook yeah that's that's a, a better word a lot to process i was shook after after watching the conclusion of it i was just like so many things so many questions in my head how you know, are we still caping for this guy? How yeah. do we still buy tickets to this man's concert, download his music, buy his albums, whatever it is? I I just don't understand. And right. of course and, and I agree with you. Um, and that's not to say that we are like just we can completely wash our hands of it, right? I mean we can't during times where we knew he was you know, or knew of accusations of his involvement with young girls. We were still buying albums. We were still right. listening to music, me included, you included. We were still, you know, stepping in the name of love. We were still believing we can fly and all of those things. But now, you know, I think that a hard stance has to be taken for people to, as the movement that has started and we saw highlighted in a documentary says that it's time to mute R. Kelly. Right. And and I agree. 
um, with you. And like you stated, we washed our hand. We can't wash our hands of this. And I think part of a part of what the docu series brought to the forefront for me is that we did that once before. We we did give R. Kelly a pass before, and and he took full advantage of that. And when I say we, I mean the culture. I mean we as a people for many reasons that we'll get into as we talk here today. You know, we just really want to have a meaningful conversation about, you know, this whole thing. And and of course, you know, you everyone's talking about it. So so we want to chime in some of it's commentary. Some of it's just wanting us to have a meaningful conversation and kind of process our own thoughts about what we saw and what it made us see within ourselves. So for me, I think we totally gave R. Kelly a pass. And I think some of what we're seeing right now in terms of the speak around um, this whole issue and the different sides of this issue, because you hit on it that even right now we have people that are completely caping for R. Kelly. Some of these uh, super fans are going hard on social media as, you know, the one, everyone who is just completely appalled by his actions and his behavior as well. But just the fact that you have people out here that will stand up for him and kind of, you know, plead a case for him is just like crazy to me. But I think it speaks to what we all did whether it was just being complicit or just not having our our antennas up. I don't know what it was, but but just as a culture, we gave them a pass for so long. And I think we some of us are even toting that line now. Now we have more people that are coming out clearly disgusted, clearly appalled and saying, you know, this this has to stop. But in the same token, those same people will go on social media when you see the parents give an interview or whatever and rip these parents to stress. These are otherwise good people who are saying, well, it couldn't have be it could. I mean, they're appalled by the behavior because they say things like I would never if it was my daughter, I would do this. I would do that. But, you know, it's a strange little space to occupy when you say that, but you yet can vilify these parents, in my opinion. I just wonder, is that a way that we're still enabling him by being disgusted? I mean, be fully disgusted. Don't be disgusted and then give a pass. I see people who are disgusted by what we learned in the docuseries, but will also attack the parents. Right. And say, and l- okay, let me be clear about some things. Do I agree with everything I learned about some of these parents' choices? You know, absolutely not. But I do think it's risky, risky behavior on our part to be tired to be fed up to really be canceling r kelly but still saying the things that about what the parents did wrong right so let so i want to backtrack a little bit before i get to your point about the parents because that is that is a valid point and i actually believe that the parents do have some culpability in this but i want to backtrack to a point you made about trying to process and trying to understand why we still cape quote-unquote, for 
R. Kelly. And when I say we, I don't mean like me and you, but Mm -hmm. we as a people, as the culture. And it goes back to something that the psychologist, I think, that said in the documentary. Mm -hmm. He said that when we have a person or or an artist or an entertainer that brings joy to our lives in some way, be it through their films or in this case through music because let's face it we hear songs certain songs not just by r kelly r kelly but by anyone that we can remember where we were or what we were doing when we heard the song and so r kelly for many step in the name of love was was played at you know weddings and i believe i can fly was played at graduations all important you know, times in our lives. And so because he provides, quote unquote, a soundtrack or at least a piece of a soundtrack to our life, I think that a lot of times it is hard for us as a people to let that go. And whether that is a rational form of thinking or not, as the psychologist pointed out, it is it's it's factual. It's we, we have evidence of it you know, well, right now, and, and evidence of it with with a lot of other yes. entertainers that that have committed misconduct. Yes, you know, I over agree. the course of their lives. So I agree. I mean, to this day, you know, we know what we know about several entertainers. Like you mentioned, it is a difficult thing, and I don't know what in the psyche causes that. If it's something to do with, of course. You know, we're speaking from the black experience because we're black. We don't know another experience. But I wonder, like in in a, in other cultures, if you will, if that's a difficult thing, is it just because we are already coming from a place of kind of kind of an underdog mentality that we think we need to rally around those of us who have gained success, um, or that we need to, you know, cover and protect. Yeah. I mean, I, I just wonder I mean, what, a lot of what that just is because it? just because of the African-American experience in America. Like right. we feel like we have to protect those that are in positions of importance, like in a lot in a yeah. lot of ways, especially if they get in trouble or, or, you know, the media projects them as as a certain thing that may, you know, that they may or may not be. We feel like we have to protect them. But in this but, case, but why is that? Because, I mean, there's a, so many tentacles on this octopus, if you will, because if you look at. I think we're selective and when we do that, because obviously, and there's a whole conversation, you know, we can have around why when it's black girls who are being victimized, this, it plays a larger role in our inability to separate celebrity from immoral behavior, um, if you will. So we can, and we'll get there, but I'm just saying, what is it, you know, this this issue that we have in being unable to always separate, you know, our love of being entertained from our moral compass when the victims are black girls who seemingly, if you watch this docuseries, it comes into question if we believe as a people that black girls matter. Having been a black girl um, and now a black woman, I can say there's a huge problem. There's a huge deficiency in our culture surrounding that whole thing because you look at a celebrity like tiger woods who know these girls weren't underage and no you know but we didn't have you know no one was like oh we still love tiger 
you know, he was, um, he wasn't convicted of anything, but, you know, it came out in the media that he had cheated on his wife with multiple women. And I only bring him up because his, his wife was white. So are we, were we like, no one was like, we hate Tiger Woods now. Well, right. And I was going to say that because the black, you know, the black community, you know, I, I guess it just depends. I'm a big fan of golf. So is it okay for me to say, I like Tiger a lot. <laughs> So, but you like the athlete. I mean, I, right. I'm just saying in so many instances, we're not willing to hold celebrities, athletes, whatever accountable. And I just wonder, I'm, this is just a question. I'm just putting it out there. Is it difficult for us? Because we often, the fact that we hold so little to black, the lives of black girls and how they're affected because, okay, Floyd Mayweather also a black man having uh, relationships with other sometimes black women not every woman he's had a relationship with black women but i think the woman that it came out that he was actually abusing she was abusing black. uh was, a, it was his mother of his children if right, I'm mistaken, right a black woman that he uh was con- well he, i think he was actually charged and convicted yeah, he, of he domestic went, abuse he went, he went to jail of domestic abuse and yet we still and like and i say and i use him as an example even using myself as you know a factor in in how this should can be studied because i do believe that floyd mayweather is a great fighter and i'm a fan of him as a boxer and i don't think that i was ever like i will not watch a floyd fight you know i don't like necessarily his you know all the sometimes how opulent he can be but i'm not bothered by his you know, it doesn't keep me from from watching a fight. If Floyd announced a fight today with another boxer that I wanted to see, I would probably sign on to watch it. And nah. so, what is it about? So, why aren't we? And should I be? Should should I be doing that? Should I be saying no? You know, or you know, we all Bill Cosby was the most recent, so we all have our our ideas about Bill Cosby. Obviously, again, the his victims were not always black. I don't think most of them were at all. But I think I watched the first season of the Cosby show like, what, a month ago? The whole first season. So right. it's just a lot. There's a lot going on there and, and, and a, a lot to, to deal with right. and unpack in terms of our inability to really hold celebrities accountable. You know, does your love of playing step in the name of love at your family reunion outweigh your morality? Right, right. And I think, you know, a lot of times we struggle with the duality of people. Like, is it true that R. Kelly is this great musician and great producer and great artist? Yes. But is he also like the the scum of the earth? Yes. Like, yeah. yeah both of those things are are true and can be true about any any person not just r kelly you know so yeah and i think we 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 pick and choose who we will hold accountable based on how we relate to the victim and i guess that's what i was saying a moment ago directly i mean you look at eddie long who 
you know, was obviously pursuing young black men, not necessarily minors. Well, what one was? Did it come out that one was I'm, a minor? I'm not sure. I don't want to. I don't want to speak inaccurately. I, I know. Mean, I know he was having relationships with younger men in right, the church, right. right. I mean, and we 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 vilify him. Like we cancel him. We. I mean, it's just it's just an interesting whole thing there when you look at who we will choose is right. worthy of canceling out that celebrity right, right and in this case you know leads us to you know the other part of that topic that i that i'm saying why do we hold black girls in so little regard and i think it has a lot to do with the fact that black women black girls for as long as we can remember for as far back as history can go have been over sexualized you know we were we've been over sexualized in in every area not just within our culture but period across the board there is this idea that that we are you know sexual beings that we're overly sexual that you know we are always down for whatever and that kind of whole mentality whole mentality around black girls and black women and i think it definitely affects everyone's ability to see us as victims and everyone's ability to identify and believe that a black girl could actually not want to be taken advantage of sexually there's this idea that because we're viewed as these sexual beings that we're just always down for it that it always like even with those girls and that's why i speak to how that plays up in our culture um and i think we have a history of letting that that whole narrative affect us within our culture because you i remember coming up as a young black girl and having older black women you know identify me as quote unquote fast and these are black women these are women who probably should have had my back and should have been willing to go to bat for me and and really have a problem with anyone being maybe predatory towards me but instead it was like you know don't walk like that don't look like that don't wear that don't be fast right. it's, you, your, it's your fault it's not exactly the, the, the fault of you know, the man who may be older and who may be, who not maybe, who is being predatory. So, the over-sexualized black woman, like, what's the the origins of that? I know we talked about it. I mean, I have some thoughts on it, and I'm no historic scholar. But, you know, I just look back at history, and I look at, you know, we all know where our history started within this country, you know, with slavery. And I just wonder, you know, when you actually own a person and you have these young girls who grew into women some who came as women and were owned by men owned by white men i think right from the start we entered into this space of their women so yes a man could find them attractive and unfortunately some men could find even girls attractive if they have something wrong with them and that whole will play it, it almost comes from a space where, you know, the black woman and the black man together in slavery, that black man or even a mother, not even let's say the man, but the mother of a black woman or black girl could not protect her. They they could not protect her because they were all owned. So what do you do with that anger and with that 
that feeling of helplessness when you cannot help or protect a young girl from the man that owns you both. I think you can internalize some of that and some of that you can project onto that child who is then the victim. So there it there is the turn, if you will, in space where it's like now I need you to not entice him. I need you to not that where that victim then becomes part of the problem, if you will, not really, but just in the mental psyche for how they were able to process that and how they were able to deal with the fact that they weren't allowed to protect. So then it becomes you shouldn't be over there. You shouldn't be wearing that. You shouldn't be moving in front of him. You shouldn't do. I mean, and I think it just. You know, it just became this thing where we were always seen to have needed to do something differently. Right. That's deep. Needed to control ourselves or police ourselves in some way. And even think about, too, and that's that is very in-depth thinking there, Martha. I, I would have never taken it there. But now that you bring it up, but just think about how even way back how black women were the imagery you know, yeah. you always saw exaggerated, you know, exaggerated butt and breast and lips and and all of those things that that lead to that notion that that black women are over are over sexualized. So it is um, a very interesting point of view, a very, very deep point of view and many, many accuracies in that when you evaluate exactly how, you know, we got here. But circling back to. The documentary and you brought up the point of the parents and that seems to be one of the big sticking points of this documentary from especially from those that seemingly as you were saying earlier still don't want to completely put all the blame on r kelly right, right. yeah they're and holding so, they're holding back a little yeah so so with these parents and and i struggle in this area because i do believe that as a parent right we do have a responsibility to our children and so with that in mind i do believe that the parents in some of these cases have some culpability right obviously the one set of parents who had the daughter who was 19 who was off in college and left with R. Kelly while she was away at school. Joycelyn Savage. Joycelyn Savage, okay. The parents probably didn't have a whole lot of control in that right. situation, right? Because when you're away at school, right, we, you know, I know I was I was away from school. I was away at school. My, my grandparents didn't know what I was doing, didn't know where I was, didn't know who I was with. Right. So it is very, that one is understandable. And then you have the set of parents who took their child to the R. Kelly concert. Now, this was well after accusations and trials right. and all of those right. things. So they went to the R. Kelly concert for the father's birthday. And then the daughter somehow was invited on stage with a group of girls. And I don't know if she would, they danced or sang along. I don't know what they were doing. But then they somehow get backstage because she's an aspiring singer and then that starts this whole thing with ultimately her becoming a part or in R. Kelly's flock, if you will. Yeah. I mean, and that I will say everything post trial. I mean, and not to say that there weren't a lot to be concerned with pre-trial because pre-trial was Aaliyah was, 
you know, a lot of accusations, a lot of settlements being reached and paid. That was a subject of the trial. Right. That was a subject of the trial. But I will just say in terms of public knowledge, everything post trial, I have a hard time just processing or rationalizing why a parent would, you know, that's kind of where I get stuck. You know, I have some, some speed bumps, if you will, in my mind, um, of trying to relate to these parents' choices. However, like I said before, my biggest issue with us, with what I see, I mean, and these people are going hard on these parents. You know, we're talking about it because this is not like subtle innuendo. This is not just a couple of people saying, well, what about the parents? What about the parents? And it's a valid question, but in the same token, it's like, we have to be so careful with that. This is a man we already gave a pass to for over 20 years. And now when you tote that line of just not finally stepping up and just saying, you know what? No, this is a super predator taking a word from the Clinton administration, 1994. Super predator. If the guys in the hood that were after me and that were after my friends and that we, some of us fell victim to, including myself, if those guys who were pursuing us at 13 and 14 and 15 years old who were in their 20s and above, if they were just predators, he was and is a super predator for maybe no other reason than just the reach that his celebrity allows him. His celebrity allows him to cast a much wider net to to get these girls. So I just, I too have issue with parents who post trial thought that it was okay to to take their child sister cousin niece anyone within the vicinity of him but in the same token you know like I said before understand we gotta be we have to be purposeful and be unapologetic and be non-wavering and just simply just saying wrong is wrong is wrong is wrong and cutting him and not told that line of, but what about those parents? But see, I think we can we can acknowledge the misconduct and the deviancy of R. Kelly and still say, what were you thinking? Like, I think we can still... We can, we can say, what were you thinking? But it cannot excuse. Questions. No, and, and not, as cannot an ex- excuse. not as an excuse, but I mean, it's a, it's a natural, honest question and... And reaction, I think that it's like, well, wait a minute, because look, some of these parents were saying, well, you know, he was acquitted, he was acquitted, he was acquitted, but yeah, we, that we part know, drove me we insane. Know our parents, <laughs> our aunties, whatever. If there is speculation about someone being a deviant or someone being, even think about when you were growing up and you might have had a friend who was maybe borderline like a troublemaker or got in trouble your parents would I just the perception <laughs> well sorry <laughs> right, right. I, was not, I, I was that friend just the perception of that person prompts your parents to say you know what i don't want you hanging out with him because i heard that he does such and such and such right. and such and such so why why didn't these parents have that mindset? Like, wait a but minute, wait a I didn't heard all these things about R. Kelly, about him, you know, peeing on little girls and all of these disgusting things. Like, I've heard about these things. In my mind, it's like, wait a minute, I'm going to keep my child as far away from that 
as possible. But you just made the point that is exactly what I was saying a moment ago when we went into the whole mentality behind, you know, us not rallying behind young black girls in a sense. Because you said if your parent knew of a friend who was kind of that friend to worry about, that friend that you said, the parents would say, well, I heard they're into this, they're into that. You stay away from them. That speaks to, again, putting the onus on the victim, not confronting. Now, it's a different type of scenario you're talking about because you're talking about peers and two two kids. But I mean... That plays the role in, in what we're discussing of, of no really no one really stepping up for these girls and really trying to protect them. When you put the onus on a child, ch- children make children-like decisions. I mean, they don't have the wherewithal or the foresight to see down right. the road. So when you say things like, and I use, I can use myself as, a, as an example, because... For in my own experience, falling victim to who I can now recognize. I mean, and this was multiple times. I mean, if you're if you are a black woman and you obviously if you're a black woman, you at some point were a black girl and you grew up, you know, in the hood, if you will, then you know that this happens all the time. And you know that black men. And it could just be because that's what what was around us. If we were in a diverse neighborhood, maybe it would have been all men. But black men try, um, not all, but there are black men who try to get at black girls all the time. Young black girls who they know are well below the age of consent, well below the age of any real knowledge of self. And they are predatory. They prey on weak girls, girls without sometimes without fathers girls with some type of you know we all have suffered from some type of self-esteem issue around that age but you know the weakest are the ones that they will prey on the most and in those cases in my own case I got what you just were saying I was told when someone maybe threw up a red flag to that could have been a predator that I was yelled at like you stay away from them. You don't, don't you? I mean, and for me, this um, happened with my 23-year-old neighbor. I was 13, seduced by this person, which later led to a sexual relationship. And I don't even know if my mother even knows about this to this day. But I do recall being told, like, when a flag was raised, like, stop walking out there, having them look at you and that kind of thing. Like, it was like I was doing something not. And that's and that's not what I was saying. I think my question is, where does the onus fall on the parents, right? I'm not saying that because you're right. Obviously, in the situation where R. Kelly is involved with a 14 or a 15-year-old girl, you're expecting R. Kelly to be the adult and say, this is wrong. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Of course. And, of, of course. course, he's not because he's a deviant. But in the instances with these parents and essentially them introducing or being involved or present during the introduction of their child to yeah, R. Kelly, I, I don't. the onus falls on them like I, I agree with Kelly's you in, not wrong, in this in one way I if agree my daughter was a talented singer and somebody came up to me now I know one of the parents said that they were under the under the understanding that their relationship was going to be with Sony Records and that 
R. Kelly was only going to be involved as a producer, and this wasn't on the documentary. I watched I, I watched a a V one hundred three interview with the parents of I think it was the Jocelyn Savage, the Savages, yeah, the, I, with their parents, yeah, that's and they said during the interview that their understanding was their relationship was going to be with Sony Records, and that R. Kelly was just coming in to produce a couple of songs, yeah, and the and the but the person, however. Who enter or who came to the savages, you know, wanting to get their daughter to join or wanted to get their daughter to sign with Sony Records was R. Kelly's road manager, which they came to find out later. So at some point, the onus, you know, you you have some questions for the parents, right? So I mean, it, it's a hard thing, right? Because R. Kelly is the is is the person that ultimately did all these things yes and he's the person that should face the brunt right of it all i mean and i saw the v103 um interview that you are speaking of and it was the savages joycelyn savages parents who were on the radio show which they also stream or show on or record for youtube and and that's really where i was just like oh my gosh the level of victim shaming and I and I'm going to lump the parents in as victims here because losing your child to right and then I think we should be clear too makes no, you a victim I just, I also don't believe that any parent wants their child to become victim of or succumb to R Kelly like I don't believe any parent is like hey you know I heard about all these things R Kelly did but you know what I don't care about that. I'm going to send my child with him anyway because, oh, he's a great musician and I feel like my daughter is an up-and-coming musician and he can be a great mentor. I, I just don't believe that a parent would intentionally put their child in harm's way. And I and I, and I see where, where you're coming from with that, but... In the case of Azriel Clary's parents, you know, and this was the one little stickler for me as it relates to them that was so hard to process. Being that I'm on the other side of this thing and I don't think we should be vilifying this parent, these parents, it's hard for me to process why, in their case, they, their daughter first encounter R. Kelly at a concert that they attended for in celebration of the father's birthday. So... Even if, let's just say, even if you and I were such, or you even, were, was an R. Kelly fan and I decided that we're both adults, we're not, you know, necessarily people that could be... You're not R. Kelly's type. Right. I'm too old, <laughs> way too old, like 30 years too old or whatever. But no, we're, we, we couldn't be taken advantage of and you liked R. Kelly so much that I decided I would take you to a concert for your birthday. I don't think anything in me post trial going back to, you know, that's a, a pivotal point for me, at least in my mind of processing some of what occurred. I don't see anything that would make me say, well, let me take my daughter, my 17 year old daughter with me, or let me take my 17 year old niece with me or any young woman. And, and especially there was a point where I guess girls were called up on stage and this is how she came to actually come in contact with him or his camp. So 
from the stage, there was a portion where you end up backstage and it was just a lot to understand of why, why any of that would happen. Like, why would you even take her to the concert? I get that she's a singer and she, unlike some of these other girls, not, you know, talking about anybody's talent, but I think there was to talk about Joyce and Savage being a, a singer, but Right, there are was. YouTube videos, and I don't know. That's the interesting that they would go there. But Azriel Clary actually has a great voice, and there are older YouTube videos of her singing, and her ta- her talent is undeniable. Um, if you look at that, but this is a 17 year old girl uh, at that time. I believe it was over summer or junior in high school had not even started her senior year of high school. So she probably maybe had just turned 17, probably was just recently 16 and taking her to the concert, allowing her on a stage, allowing her. I mean, I get it. She's a singer. So you wanted that for her in some way. But it's just like all the other singers in the world take her to Trace own concert. Not to say she couldn't be victimized. <laughs> I was about to say, mm, but no, no. I mean, no, you can't accuse Trace Owens of anything. I, I mean, I guess that, Chris Brown and R. Kelly are the two that you wouldn't want your take your daughter to the concert. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't understand. It's just like, why would this be the avenue I'm that? Say, you, wait a minute. A lot of girls go to Chris Brown concerts still. But I'm just saying, as your as all as your daughter wanting her to come in contact with that person like not just going to be entertained oh, they clearly the Rihanna, want they Rihanna clearly right oh, like okay. he beats I'm, women okay. so they clearly wanted her to to come in contact it's different that it's going as a spectator and going with the intention of having interaction you know what i'm saying sure. so why would that be the singer that you would want so yes i have some trouble processing that and even still i am willing to stand with conviction on the side of it does not matter i don't i don't quite understand it but i don't need to understand it because he is still a predator right so and i have a problem with that so sure and and i'm on the kind of in between right i have questions for the parents but even with questions for the parents my heart can go out to them and i can feel so much you know empathy and 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 pain for those parents because i can't imagine what they are are going through seeing the the family of the i think it was the azriel girl Mm -hmm. seeing them go to that studio in chicago and throwing rocks at the window and and all of that stuff that is heartbreaking seeing the one mom um dominique's mom you know, and shout out to shout out to Dominique's mom. You know, she was like, "Hey, I'm in California. There is no way I'm going to be in this state and not try to find my daughter. right in this city, close to where she." So, in the case of Dominique Gardner's mother, for those of you, if you haven't seen a docu series, we're giving plenty of spoiler alerts. So by now, we are just hoping everyone has seen it. If you haven't, you might want to just skip forward or come back to us when you watched it but Dominique's Gar- Dominique Gardner's mother is yet Dominique Gardner's yet another victim who um, at the time of the docuseries being recorded was still within his harem if you will or cult is what they've called it on television and 
she lost her daughter somewhere around 14. Well, her daughter first came in contact with R. Kelly around the age of 14. And again, without her knowledge. So she's a parent. And that's what I say. And that, that's the that's that's the problem that I have with us kind of asking that question. Well, what about the parent? Only because, and this is why we brought up Azrael Clary's parents specifically, because they actually took their daughter to a concert. Unlike Dominique Gardner's mother, who I think, you know, that's a... A risky place to land because your children undoubtedly will do many many things that, that you, you will know ever about. know you about, know about yep. and they just don't end up falling victim to a celebrity and hold up in a house for years and years but that's not to say that they don't do things without your knowledge without your consent and things that you otherwise would not want them to do Facts. so i mean it's 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 tough to like go go there with it but in the case of dominique gardner her mother learned from a friend that Dominique was hanging out at R. Kelly's house. Dominique was actually kind of lured in, if you will, or pulled into this whole web of his through another young girl, Jeronda Pace, mm-hmm. who um, befriended her on MySpace and they became friends. Wow, that's how long this goes back. Right, MySpace. right, wow. right. So they befriended uh, each other on their love for R. Kelly. So she didn't even really know this girl outside of the internet right. a, a, initially. And the mutual admiration for right. her. Right. They, they bonded online over the mutual admiration for R. Kelly. So when she was asked how, if she knew any girls that she could bring, I guess, to him, she thought about this Dominique girl, reached out to her. Some, you know, fast forward, Dominique ends up. At the house with him, Geronda Pace was aware that this girl was somewhere in the house, but could never get to see her, um, knowing that she is the one who, I guess, lit the fire to get her there, but she was never able to see her. So Dominique's mother, you know, right from the start was like, okay, my daughter is a teenager. When she found out she was there, she went there. She, you know, she... She asked her daughter for her phone. She asked her daughter to call. But that was after she got her back the first time. She was there the first time. Like when she found out she was there, she went there looking for her daughter. She got her daughter from his house. And maybe at that time being a minor, he wasn't actually holding her. Like she was able just to go there and just leave or whatever. And called him and said, "Well, she did. She said once her daughter was back with her, you know, she now she knows that she's talking to him. She's seeing him. She gave him a call and said, "Look, (laughs) you don't know me, but you will need to stay away from my daughter." And I guess for a while he did, but clearly the contact did not cease. So fast forward to some years later, her daughter graduated from high school, was going to a vocational school or community college um, that they were both actually attending together, the mother and the daughter. And her mother says, you know, she was doing well. She was doing well. But the seeds he had planted and the things that he had done to her mind obviously had already you know, we're already had already taken root. So now she is an adult. She's 18. And she says, R. Kelly asked her to move to Atlanta with him. And and that is where she lost her daughter, thankfully not for good, but lost contact. So so that's a part of this whole thing that we need to talk about is that for the people out there caping for R. Kelly who's saying, you know, well, these girls now 
are adults, okay? They are adult young women at this point. And so those that are caping, and Joycelyn was an adult when she went into his flock at the age of 19. So for all the, those that are saying, well, they're grown and they don't want to leave. And it's like, but let's put it all in the context. Like we can't just take little niblets off of this thing and make it to what we want it to be. What healthy relationship do you know where the person isn't allowed to interact with their family, with their loved ones, with their friends who seemingly all but disappear off the face of the earth? where they need to ask to eat and ask to relieve themselves. Um, I think it, one of the girls even said in the case of the Clary's, the sister who went to Chicago with Azriel at the point of her kind of being inducted into the flock, if you will, what she saw in the studio in these multiple rooms where every room had a young girl in it was she explained seeing buckets in the corner, like the kind of bucket that you would get from Home Depot or, or Lowe's or something, you know, those big orange buckets where it appeared that these girls were held in these rooms and actually using a bucket to relieve themselves. I mean, the fact that they're not able to speak, if someone walks into a room with them, they are taught to look straight ahead and not acknowledge others and even sparkle spoke to that because she clearly you know at some point she was an adult but she she started out I, it at least they alluded to almost that she was in a relationship with him as well because she said that there was a time where he told her you know you don't speak to them and I've seen her since say a little bit more about it on a separate interview with a local um, news show local I think that being Chicago or somewhere where she said he even I mean he's so manipulative and such a skilled predator that she said it, even that aspect of him he had a way to spin it to make it as if it was complimentary to you so what he told her about the whole you know you don't need to speak to other people was something along the lines of don't don't speak to them like they're nothing to you They're you're above them you don't need to speak to them so even that and his manipulation is making it seem as if he holds you in such high regard that they these other people are are so beneath you that they they don't even bother offering them your words like that kind of thing i mean and that's some skill manipulator predatory type shit okay like you know, there's a line, a whole thread of everything that we learned about R. Kelly that speaks to the whole pimp culture. That is a whole nother caveat of this thing. And again, going back <laughs> to us uh, standing on the wrong side of morality in, in our culture with a lot of things, we have elevated pimp culture to be something sensationalized too so is there an aspect of that whole thing uh why, why it's hard for us to to have a problem when we should have a problem with people i mean 
we love us some pimp culture. Yeah, we, I mean, I mean, it's in it's in music. I mean, I mean you know, we we about- bump too short. We, I mean, we the whole thing, the books, the movies. We right. we have we have and promoted even that in culture, right? You think about a young man who might be who braggadocious about how many girls he might be talking to or dating at one time, and you know that's a badge of honor because dudes be like, "Oh man, you a pimp, man! Oh yeah, you a pimp!" So yeah, you're right. Pimp culture is something that is definitely an underlying highlight of this documentary because he runs this house and this group of women much like right don't don't look you know don't look at people when they enter Mm -hmm. the room you know don't go nowhere unless i tell you to go check in with me all of that is you know pimp culture personified right yeah because pimp culture is about control it's about control and it's about uh, exploitation and exploiting young women and that is exactly what he's doing and i mean even down to there are some reports now this wasn't a part of the docuseries but in all the the chatter that has happened since the airing of the docuseries obviously there's a ton of information out there who's to say what of it is correct and what of it isn't but there are reports and speculation that the so-called mother of the house is that young girl the 14 year old Rashonda Lanfair is the girl who did not take part in the docuseries would not would not uh participate in the trial but she's the girl on the tape that he allegedly urinated on at the age of 14 and it is said that she still has a romantic relationship with r kelly to this day and that she is the one in the house that they call the mother if you will that trains the others about how to please him and how what makes him happy what makes him not happy and how to stay in line now that is all just talk if you are on youtube if you're on social media you can find a lot of content that speaks to to that whole narrative we don't know if it's true or not true but if it is i mean that makes this even more just just disgusting but it also shows his reach and the reason why it's almost believable like not that it that it is but that it could be it's because you have to think about how traumatized and how how much control he must have had even at that age for her to not be willing and her family I mean what does it do to the psyche of a young girl when her family won't stand up for her so basically because I'm sure she was following the leader, leader of her the parents the only person that would is her aunt is her aunt. her aunt who ended up estranged from her own family right. she ended up losing her family for 10 years Sparkle um, in a later interview says she did not speak to her family for from 2000 one to 2011 that they were completely estranged because of the fact that she was like no this is my niece and i want him prosecuted i want him to pay for this is a crime and the brother the brother's wife and the niece who was a minor so we i mean she's a victim so we want her she followed the lead of her parents i believe if her parents were willing to step up and really to fight for her and to say my child was victimized and and i want to do something about it then she would have followed that but when you're when the adults around you when your parents the people that are supposed to love you are telling you well we're just gonna 
I don't know what they would say. I can't imagine being in that situation, but basically we're going to forget about it and we're not, you know, then how, how does that play on your psyche? How does that play, um, in the way that you view yourself and what does that do to you mentally? So to think that she could now possibly be still under his kind of, I think it's possible because I just imagine all of the trauma, you know, that could be caused and the almost, you know, irreparable damage that could be caused to your mind. If, if you were placed in that position at the young age of 14, you say by the time the trial came, she was 20 or 20. Yeah, 20. Um, so she was not a minor any longer. And that was part of that whole thing of why it took the trial so long to come to pass is explored in the docuseries as well. Um, where they talk about the way that he strategically stalled, stalled that trial happening because or his, or his, his, his legal team, team his right. legal team. Um, it was a strategic move. It was a smart strategic move from a from a legal aspect to you don't want to put, you know, even a 16 year old girl up on the stage who was 14 to, uh, on the stage. I'm sorry, on, on the stand who was 14 just two years ago. I mean, who's to say for all the years that they had, that's a lot of time for him to work on that family and work them into um, getting to a place where they didn't want to participate with a trial and didn't want to um, to be witnesses against him. Um, but also if had they decided to do it, putting a 20 year old woman up there versus a 14 or, or 15 or 16 year old girl is a lot different. Sure. So either way he played it and his legal team played it to his advantage. Um, but I think, I mean, we just really have to look at like, again, like we said in the beginning, we gave our Kelly a pass and yeah. a huge one. And it's a tough situation for for parents, you know, to be in in that in that instance. And so now we go from that to and you brought this up earlier when you talked about R. Kelly's ability to cast a net and how he was able to interact and meet all of these young girls who are now now women. He was able to do that because and we find this out in the documentary He had so many enablers who just allowed him to, or I don't want to say allowed him, but who were okay seemingly with this behavior. There was you said it right the first time. They they allowed it. Yeah, they allowed it and encouraged it and made it much easier for him. Right, and so you had this one person who appeared on the documentary whose voice was masked who gave detailed accounts of their involvement in the house. Then you had this road manager who, he just pissed me off at various times throughout the documentary from Mm -hmm. his almost like smirking or smiling when he was given accounts of like R. Kelly's time with Aaliyah and how they were so close and all these different things. And so then you go to the, the high school where R. Kelly seemingly had, you know, it was a 
a recruiting ground for him, as mm-hmm. we've talked about before. He was basically going to the high school like he was Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh, like recruiting young girls for for his flock, as you said earlier. Right. So, and I don't know if he was a part of the team that was recruiting at the high school, but that that in itself speaks to you know the whole enabler thing be be it intentional or unintentional speaking of his role manager obviously that was very intentional but when you talk about enablers I mean just think about the faculty at this high school that he became I mean it was just like common knowledge that he frequented this high school to the point of being a staple there and got many girls to enter into these relationships or come into um, contact with him from his presence there at Kenwood High School in Chicago. And you, I mean, when I just think about faculty members, I'm wondering like, okay, administrators, teachers, counselors, lunch lady, security guard, I mean, what were their thoughts when they saw this grown man coming frequently to the high school and enamoring young girls for quite a while this wasn't like one two visits because i think like okay first visit second visit third visit you think here's a hometown celebrity showing love to the kids inner city kids and and it's all good but at some point as an adult you know we we're you didn't get older not being wiser so something would have said to you you would have known and not to mention in the high school no matter how big the high school news travels fast if r kelly was there really if girls were getting with him because of his presence there at the high school it was not going to stay under wraps long word spreads so so they would have they would have known so i cannot imagine like if my child went to that school let's say in the early 90s early to late 90s and i know my child was a student there and I knew that there were faculty members that allowed him to uh, basically use it as a almost like a hunting ground. I mean, I would be livid. Like, what is wrong with you? How how did y'all allow this? It's just it's just crazy. And going back to the manager, he seemed to be more of a recruiter. Um, he talked about traveling the country with R. Kelly and going to malls. Like, that was another one of his things. So, when he was home in Chicago, it was this Kenwood High School that kind of was his hunting ground. When he was out on the road, it was the concert itself, pulling girls from the audience, and malls. He loved going to malls, and this was their whole, they had a whole kind of system of it where they went to the malls. Of course, young girls hang out at malls. So, yeah, so so the enabler thing is just just crazy, right? I mean, on many levels, you have the women that are put into the the audience at the concerts who will then speaking of this. Oh, my gosh. So there is a YouTube channel, a, a YouTube person, personality. Um, I believe her YouTube channel is being Taylor Marie, who documents or has a a short video out of her interaction with R. Kelly. Thankfully, she never became one of his victims. But when I tell you this girl outlines and she's able to show the picture, there's pictures, there's video of her encountering R. Kelly 
Um, and it speaks to those enablers that you're talking about because literally it's the same thing. So she was not a part of this docu-series, never became one of his long-term victims or anything like that. But she just documents that she went to an R. Kelly concert, I believe in 2000. It may have even been 2016 or 17. So this wasn't that long ago. And I guess at the time she's a 20 year old in college. I don't know how they happened upon the tickets, but I guess in college, you know, maybe there's not a lot to do on the weekend. So when you can get, you know, something to do, it doesn't have to be like your favorite artist, but you just go. So her, a group of friends go to this R. Kelly concert there. She, she speaks to the fact that they're one of the younger groups there. She was like, all the women around her were like true R. Kelly fans in the, in the, in the sense of age, what, right. what you would expect an R. Right. Kelly been fan working with him since you know to be play right. Which and at this stuff. point he shouldn't have any fans, but y'all y'all just still want y'all can't okay. y'all just can't do right. So she talks about they ended up getting right up front, and there was a point in time where he and she has video, like she Snapchatted this whole thing where he's kind of leaning over, touching the hands of fans as they reach up. Because they were able, they were that close to touch the stage. And as they're touching the hands of, he's touching the hands of fans, you know, she reaches out. Again, she's 20. Uh, Don't ask me why she was there and why she wanted to fan girl R. Kelly, but she did. So she reaches out, he touches her hand. And that, and, and so, so now he really sees her. He touches her hand and she's like, shortly after that, she has a woman come to her tap her on her shoulder and say excuse me security security wants to to talk to you and she said and she even says it she's like you know i'm young i don't know she was like maybe i was it was just like being young and not knowing she was like even then i thought oh my god did i do something wrong why does security want to talk to me she went right to a place of i must i must have did something wrong so she goes to talk to security only to find out it's not security for the venue it's r kelly security and he tells her that do they want to come invite them to a party after or something and ask them do they want to meet r kelly do they want to come to this party after and take pictures or whatnot so she's like okay and i think that is where there was an exchange of numbers or him giving her a number or something about r kelly it could happen later but don't quote me but the video is out there taylor being taylor marie so she says that after the concert they make their way to some door where they're trying to then partake in what they were offered which was to get backstage and whatever and the venue security wouldn't let them through was telling them and they're telling them no 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 they told us to come here and stand here and that we could come back and the venue security is like yeah 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 like people say that all the time right so what so they think they're being turned away the r kelly security tracks them down and finds them to say oh no 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 they can come because she said they had all but like all given up on getting to him because again she talks in the video about how you know they were there for something to do i guess not because anyone was necessarily a huge r kelly fan so they let it go so fast forward they end up meeting him she has pictures that she shows and 
and put puts into this video um the pictures that were taken backstage which are normal fan pictures you know pose with the celebrity take the picture but it goes on to say that you know then there was an exchange of numbers why don't you call me and at some point there was they got to the point of facetiming each other so she's facetiming on her phone someone else is recording this interaction her holding her phone you can clearly see r kelly's face on the facetime clearly hear his voice and this is like one of their first conversations after texting back and forth a little bit and he asked her how old are you she says i'm 20 there's a pause now i couldn't tell if the pause was relief or if the pause was like oh like like disappointment (laughs) like what you 20 damn you almost not meet my threshold Like, you can't really tell, but there is an audible and visual pause there. And I don't know if it was like, "Mm mm-hmm, like, yeah. Because she looks younger than she is. If you watch this video, she looks younger. And you can clearly say, if she's the one he picked out, oh, and let me fast forward. There's a part. So the number exchange happens um, in that first interaction with his security. Because she talks about, and she has on tape, on the Snapchat, where even after uh, that interaction, exchange happens and they go back to just being spectators in the crowd still in the front you know rocking along to the shows where he gestures her like a you gonna call me i'm using my finger my hand right now you guys can't see me but he gestures her with her hand like while singing looks directly at her and does the motion that you will when you hold your hand to your face like you know what's up call me call me call me so that happened so anyway the you know he asked her on this facetime video when are you coming to see me um and she's like well come and see you where i can't remember what city it was that they went to this concert but she's like in chicago and he's telling her it doesn't matter where when you ready you could come wherever basically telling her he will get her flewed out (laughs) no i mean flown out but you know (laughs) um wherever so it's the whole it's the whole thing that we heard about in that docuseries about as it relates to that first interaction and how it all works uh, oh he's such a nice guy he's so charming and he's right. so this and so the that. enablers as you were speaking of right. the woman in the crowd i want to find that woman in the crowd i want to fight that woman in the crowd and the woman in in every crowd that tapped a young girl on the shoulder and said, R. Kelly wants to meet you or do you want to come to an after party or do you want to go backstage? Those are the women that I want to punch in the face because how do you do this knowing, knowing what is down the road or what could be down the road for these young women? How can you in good conscience well, we don't even say in good conscience because clearly they don't have good conscience. Do that to someone's daughter, someone's sister, aunt, niece, nephew. That's why I said that's why I have such a problem with the victim shaming because they are me. I am them. If you are a woman, if you are a black woman and you are caping for R. Kelly and if you are victim shaming, you are the new 53 percent. And by that, I mean the 53% of white women that voted for Trump that got us into this craziness that we're in now. Like you are vote, you are going against your own interests. You are hating yourself. You are contributing to 
your own detriment. And when I say your own, I mean it because I mean, they are we are one like I see myself in those young women. I know it very well could have been me. Had I ever <laughs> encountered R. Kelly at uh, age of like 17 or 14 or 15 where you're young and impressionable and you got this older man not you know with money some of us fell victim to men older men with no damn money with, with you know with with nothing so the fact that you have women out here saying oh, they don't understand how they could be so I mean even now um the most recent episode of Facebook's popular red table talk with Jada Pinkett Smith is a two-part episode with one of the victims uh, Lisa Van Allen who got with R. Kelly at 17 was more of like a girlfriend she's actually the other girl in the infamous tape with the 14 year old girl which she was forced into threesomes with this with this young girl not knowing her age her true age but the the amount of victim victim shaming in the comments of even the trailer for that new Red Table Talk is crazy. I mean, it is. So it hasn't come out yet. It actually drops today, I believe. It's a special episode. So normally Red Table Talk airs on Mondays. Um, but this was a special and I believe they it aired today. But yesterday they started promoting. And when I'm saying today, guys, it's Saturday. You're not hearing this on Saturday, but um, it is Saturday, January 12th 12th um so it'll it'll be a couple like, days well, so it's not the today show we a podcast <laughs> but i'm just saying when we're talking about when it airs so by the time you hear this the red table talk will be out there because i think it's out there right now and it is it is a two part so i didn't even i haven't even watched the episode yet but what i did watch was just a little teaser for the episode and within that teaser the comments the comments of almost all women victim shaming this woman is 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 it's disgusting it's absolutely disgusting and what i say to them is you know you guys talk about how could she at 17 you know better you wanted this or you wanted that from him and this is why you did this i mean come on now we it's some women out here 30 40 50 years old doing things to keep and please a man that is to their own detriment so don't sit high and look low and tell me that you can't understand how a 17 year old girl could do things that she otherwise would not do or know to not be in her best interest to keep to please and to what she thought was show love to a man that she felt that she was in love with. Don't tell me you can't understand that because some of y'all out here 30 40 50 years old doing things against your your better judgment to keep and please a man but that is somewhat of the vein of the comments you know it's like and and let's be clear these are girls be it 17 and of the age of consent or whatever that are going up against a skilled a skilled predator he had years in the game of doing this and perfecting it he could he if this was money management he is the dave ramsey of a pedophilia of pedophiles and manipulation and pimp 
mentality and pimp control over women. So don't, I mean, come on. We have to stop. We have to stop with the victim shaming. Getting back to your point of the enablers, those women like the women that are tapping girls on the shoulder saying, R. Kelly wants to meet you. Um, the tour manager whose name was Demetrius something or other. Why you had to put that out there? <laughs> Why you had to say his name was Demetrius? I mean, I mean, is that relevant to what we're talking about right now? Because I'm I, just first saying. of all, my name's Demetrius. I don't have an I in my name, so it was not me before people okay. be like, "Oh, Meech from the." I wasn't, I, I, was, I wasn't was going that far into it, but yes, his demeanor when he spoke about his part, his role, him, you know, getting Aaliyah um, because they thought she was pregnant, and all of that was um, was disturbing. It was disturbing to watch him recount it because he almost seemed proud. Yeah. Um, of his part. I mean, and we all know celebrities have a lot of yes people around them. So there were other people, you know, there were there were women, there were men. I mean, the brother. How sick was that the brother? He I don't know that he falls in the enabler. Um, well, he's in jail, so how much can he, he enable? He, he falls in, a, and he, like, falls he in wasn't a, always in jail. Well, he falls in the defender category, for right? Sure. He defended but, him yeah. by saying, "Well, we all have preferences, right?" I mean, that will go down. That's like a soundbite, like in history, because I literally, I, I don't, I almost threw my shoe at the TV when he said that. I mean, he literally says, "I mean, well, I like older women. He like younger women. What's the big deal? We all have preferences. It's like." Dude. And then he throws the other brother under the bus, the younger brother who R. Kelly actually tried, or at least his legal team tried to push the blame toward the younger brother. Um, right. by saying, saying the first calling the them first calling them twins, which they are not, and then you know when it came out there, what they weren't twins, talking about the similarities and how they look, which they look and nothing. What brother and what they brother or person nothing, or whatever nothing alike. What, do you know that wouldn't be mad in that situation? Well, he was like, mad. it's a video of me. It's a video of you. You know, urinating on a girl, and then you gonna say it's me? Well, he was. And he mad. was mad. He and aired I, him out on Wendy right. Williams, and right. I'm speaking to. This is the uh, the 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 brother that's in prison. I'm speaking about that brother. Then saying that the younger brother, who R. Kelly tried to pin it on, should have taken the money. He said you would have been rich. He was gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars. In what world? And record, and record does, an album. What in what world does a hundred thousand dollars make you rich? Like that's not rich. Like I was like, how long has this man been in prison? Because he clearly does not know inf- the inflation. The total inflation <laughs> has taken on the world. Yeah, I mean, I could use a hundred k right now, but, but that would not make right, me rich. But it wouldn't make me rich. So. Yeah, the enablers were crazy, and just to kind of put a bow on all of all of this, one of the more disturbing points in the documentary was just this whole, and we've been talking about it throughout this episode, just the whole believability of black women. And they had this juror on there who said that he went with the not guilty verdict in R. Kelly's pornography trial because he just looked at these women and he did not believe them. 
And that just speaks to a bigger issue that we have in society, speaks to a bigger, big issue that we have in our own black culture, not just society at large, but just within our own culture. As Martha has been pointing out through some of the comments she saw when they were promoting the Red Table Talk, some of the callers in this V103 interview that's on YouTube where V103's interviewing the the Savage family and some of these people that were calling in and they were all women. Yeah, they were all, and women. they gave zero they, f's. They okay? did not show no an ounce of sympathy. No like, mercy. How are you? I mean? So it just speaks to this large issue of we have to start standing up for our black women. Do black girls really matter? And Do, they should, especially with our mean, own culture. Yeah, they should. They this should shows matter. us that they don't. Our behavior and our being complicit around the R. Kelly issue for many, many years. I myself stopped buying his music, never went to his concerts after the whole, uh, again, like I said, it was a turning point for me. The trial post trial did not, but then was given, was given the chocolate factory CD and I did bump it. So I am also, uh, a part of the problem that I'm talking about, about us not believing enabling being complicit and giving the past that we gave for so long and i think that's why i stand with so much conviction now that i won't even ride the i'm not even willing i'm not even willing to give an inch to ride the fence and do any form of questioning of the parents decisions because i feel like that even puts me back in a space a little bit of of giving him an inch and I, I refuse to give him even an inch at this point yeah, at, with I, him being a predator i mean if you're in the black culture if you're an african-american right your mom is as a black woman your your aunt is a black woman your sister if you have a sister is is a black your woman. favorite first cousin right your cousins i mean like your favorite if, first cousin is a black woman. Shout out to my cousin, Corey. I know I'm his favorite first cousin. Well, I'm not his first cousin, but yeah. Yeah, thank you for interrupting <laughs> my point to point out that Corey is not even your first cousin. But but I'm a girl. I'm black. I'm correct. female. And so, so even if, right, like, think about if these women were those people in your life. You would stand up for them. You would want to you would believe them you would stand up for them and just because these women you don't know them or have an attachment to them and you feel like guess what newsflash you don't have an attachment to r kelly you don't know him because you buy his record you don't know him because you stepped in the name of love to his record you don't know him what we do know is that he's shown a pattern and he's shown um consistent behavior right. and all of these allegations are out and if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck right. nine times out of ten it's a duck your love for good music should not trump your morality right. and, it, and it's as simple as that well said Martha well said and that's a great place for us to end this episode of the different Stokes podcast we want to thank you guys so much for listening we want to thank Martha who shared some of her personal experiences in this episode as it relates to the surviving R. Kelly documentary. We hope and pray that these parents who are still hoping that their daughters come home, we pray that they come home soon. And we also continue to pray for the survivors that they continue to get closure and find solace in knowing that there is a group of people that ride for and defend 
are black women. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Be sure, be sure, please, to follow us on our social media outlets. You can find us on Facebook at Different Stokes Pod. We're also on Twitter at Meech and Martha. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're also, of course, on Anchor, where you can listen to previous episodes as well as catch our new episodes as soon as they drop. Well, once again, we want to thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Different Stokes Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Hope you have a great week. Peace, fam. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Different Stokes Podcast. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. You can also keep up with our podcast and download previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcasting outlets. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. Peace, fam.